Good morning. Welcome to Ellsworth Christian Reformed Church. All of you gathered here today and those scattered around the world watching online from your homes or your cars or wherever you are, God bless you. Good to see you here today. God calls us to worship on this beautiful day, calling us to the Word. And we, we hear God's Word today from the book of Galatians, and we're doing something special and unusual today, which I've never quite done before. But as a, an ending to this series of Galatians that we've done all summer long, uh, going uh, word by word, verse by verse through the book of Galatians, today we're going to hear the entire book of Galatians as the Word of God to us today. Uh, split up in various sections throughout the service with occasional explanations and, uh, and then song and prayer interspersed with it. So we, we come to the word then to, to be laid bare before God, to hear God's word, and, and we pray that God will speak to us today what he wants us to hear, not what we want to hear, not what we, th- what we think we should hear, but what the Spirit has for you, each of you, for me, for all of us today. It's a high calling to hear the word in this way. And so let us pray for God's illumination on the hearing of the word in this day. O Holy Spirit, come among us now, we pray, that as we hear your word from the book of Galatians, your word to the church, your word of love and freedom in the grace of Jesus Christ, may your spirit speak to us deep in our hearts. May you convict us of our sin. May you correct us where we've gone astray. And may you guide us into life of faithfulness in the Spirit. Faithfulness that is worked out in love of our neighbor. So we pray that by your Spirit you guide us as we worship today in song and in word, that we may hear and know Jesus Christ. In his name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. To begin then, I invite you to rise and hear the words of Paul, Paul's greeting to us and to the church of Galatians from the beginning of the book of Galatians. I, Paul, and my companions in faith here send greetings to the Galatian churches. My authority for writing to you does not come from any popular vote of the people, nor does it come from some appointment of human higher-ups. It comes directly from Jesus the Messiah and from God the Father who raised him from the dead. I am God commissioned. So I greet you with the great words, grace and peace. We know the meaning of those words because Jesus Christ rescued us from this evil world we're in by offering himself for us as a sacrifice for our sins. God's plan is that we all experience that rescue. Glory to God forever. Oh, yes. Amen. Let us sing in response to that greeting. Love divine, all love's excelling. The words will be on screen or you can open your Psalter hymnal, the gray one, to number 568.
As we continue hearing the word, you'll notice on screen there'll be a a header that guides us through the the section that we're in. First, God calls us to the message, and we'll be hearing from Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, through chapter 3, verse 12, and then later uh, a little bit from 3, 13, and 14. Uh, First, a, a brief explanation the, the letter to the Galatians is different than you might have in your mind. It's not a physical letter that Paul uh, put a stamp on and stuck in the mail and sent to the church in Galatia. No, the letter uh, to the Galatians and to all the letters that Paul wrote at the time would have been brought by a messenger, by a representative, by a, an appointed preacher of the word who brought the message from Paul to the church by hand. And then that person would read the letter aloud in the congregation for people to hear, as we will do today. They didn't have screens. They didn't have Bibles. They had the letter of Paul helping them understand the scriptures of the Old Testament, which they did have, which they loved, and helping them to live more faithfully as the church. So as we hear the the word from Galatians today, uh, keep that in mind. I'm I'm not being Paul here today. I'm being Paul's uh, sent representative. And we know that he had various different representatives to do this. Uh, The letter of uh, of Romans, for example, was carried by Phoebe uh, from, uh, uh, from, uh, I think, Ephesus all the way over to Rome. And she was most likely the one who preached it to the congregation. Uh, We don't know who brought the letter of Galatians to Galatia. But we know that Paul sends it, and he must have chosen a very special person because it was a sensitive time. Things were high. Tensions were high in the world at that time. And in the church, they were torn with division and conflict over how to be part of God's family. How, what does it mean to be in the family of God and who is in and how do we stay in? And Paul had gotten word from somebody, maybe a messenger, maybe a letter that somebody sent that things were not right in the church. And so he sends this letter to them with harsh words, but with true words of the gospel. And this is one of the first letters that Paul ever wrote in his ministry to these churches that he had planted and visited and and cared for and loved who were suddenly turning astray. So let's continue hearing the word from Galatians chapter uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 6. By the way, I'm reading from the message translation of the Bible to, to give it a fresh and different sound to our ear. You are welcome, of course, to follow along in your pew Bibles, but I encourage you not to, actually. I encourage you to hear the word as the Galatians would have heard it then. Paul writes this to Galatia. He says, I can't believe how you waver, how easily you turned traitor to him who called you by the grace of Christ by embracing this alternative message. And it is not a minor variation, you know. It is completely other. It is an alien message, a no message, a lie about God. Those who are provoking this agitation among you are turning the message of Christ on its head. Let me be blunt. If anyone of us, even if an angel from heaven were to preach something other than what we preached originally, let him be cursed. I said it once. I'll say it again. If anyone regardless of reputation or credentials, preaches anything, something other than what you received originally, let him be cursed. Do you think I speak this strongly in order to manipulate the crowds or to court favor with God or to get popular applause? If my goal was popularity, I wouldn't, be, wouldn't bother being Christ's slave Know this, and I am most emphatic here, friends. This great message I delivered to you is not mere human optimism. I didn't receive it through the traditions, and I wasn't taught it in some school. I got it straight from God. Received the message directly from Jesus Christ. I'm sure you've heard of the story of my earlier life when I lived the Jewish way. In those days, I went about all out persecuting God's people. I was systematically destroying it. I was so enthusiastic about the traditions of my ancestors that I advanced head and shoulders above my peers in my career. Even then, God had his eye on me. Why, when I was still in my mother's womb, he chose me and he called me out of sheer generosity And now he has intervened and revealed his son to me so that I might joyfully tell non-Jews about him. 
immediately after my calling, without consulting anyone around me and without going to Jerusalem to confer with those who were apostles long before I was, I got away to Arabia. And later I returned to Damascus, but it was three years before I went up to Jerusalem to compare stories with Peter. And I was only there 15 days, but what days they were. Uh, Except for our master's brother James, I saw no other apostles, and I, I am telling you the absolute truth in this. And then I began my ministry in the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And after all that time and activity, I was still unknown by face among the Christian churches in Judea. There was only this one report. Uh, they said, that man who once persecuted us is now preaching the very message he used to try to destroy. And their response was to recognize and worship God because of me. Fourteen years after that first visit, Barnabas and I went up to Jerusalem and took Titus with us, and I went to clarify with them what had been revealed to me. I did this in private with the leaders, those held in esteem by the church, so that our concern would not become controversial public issue, something marred by ethnic tensions, exposing my years of work to denigration and endangering my present ministry. Now, significantly, Titus, non-Jewish though he was, was not required to be circumcised. While we were in conference with them, we were infiltrated by spies pretending to be Christians who slipped in to find out just how free true Christians are. Their ulterior motive was to reduce us to their brand of servitude, and we didn't give them the time of day. We were determined to preserve the truth of the message for you. And as for those who were considered important in the church, their reputation doesn't concern me. God isn't impressed by mere appearances, and neither am I. And of course, these leaders were able to uh, add nothing to the message that I had been preaching. Uh, It was soon evident that God had entrusted me with the same message to the non-Jews as Peter had been preaching to the Jews. Recognizing my calling that had been given by God, uh, James, Peter, and John, those pillars of the church, shook hands with me and Barnabas assigning us to a ministry to the non-Jews while they continued to be responsible for preaching to the Jews. The only additional thing they asked was that we remember the poor, and I was already eager to do that. Later, when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. Now, here's the situation. Earlier, before certain people had come from James, Peter regularly ate with the non-Jews. But when that conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. That's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that's been pushing the old system of circumcision. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in the Antioch church joined in that hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was swept along in the charade. But when I saw that they were not maintaining a a steady, straight course according to the message, I spoke up to Peter in front of them all. If you, a Jew, live like a non-Jew when you're not being observed by those watchdogs from Jerusalem... What right do you have to require non-Jews to conform to Jewish customs just to make a favorable impression on your old Jerusalem buddies? We know, he continues, we know that we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule-keeping, but through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? We tried it. And we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. Have you noticed that some of you, have some of you noticed that we are not yet perfect No surprise, right? Are you ready to make that accusation that since people like me who go through Christ in order to get things right with God aren't perfectly virtuous, 
Christ must therefore be an accessory to sin. That accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I would be acting as a pretender. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping all the rules and working my head off to please God, but it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so I could be a God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going to go back on that. Is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to repudiate, repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then, then Christ died unnecessarily. Here I'd like to pause and offer a a brief explanation to the word. For for those of you who might not have been following our sermon series in Galatians this far, welcome, we're glad you're here. Uh, the, The whole point of the book of Galatians is what does it mean to be the people of God? Who's in and who's not? And how do you stay in? And what Paul is saying is what God has done in Jesus Christ is something totally new and different. Though those who follow Jesus Christ and who trust in Jesus' faithfulness to save them Those are the true family of God. Those are the children of God. That is the Israel of God. And it is you don't get into the family of God and be part of God's covenant blessings by anything you do. You get it because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's how you get in. You don't get in by following the Jewish rules or uh, uh, circumcision or whatever all those other rules are. You do it by what Christ has done for you. That's That's what it means to be part of the family of God. Now Paul continues in chapter 3 with some really harsh words for the Galatians. Let's hear them again. You crazy Galatians, did someone put a spell on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened for it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clear enough. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue in this craziness? For only crazy people would think that they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? Did you go through all this painful learning process for nothing? It is not a total loss, but it certainly will be if you keep this up. Answer this question. Does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, working things in your lives you could never do by yourselves, does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving or because you trust him to do them in you? Don't these things happen among you just as they happened with Abraham? He believed God, and that act of belief was turned into a life that was right with God. Isn't it obvious to you that persons who put their trust in Christ, not persons who put their trust in the law, are like Abraham, children of faith? It was all laid out beforehand in the scripture that God would set things right with non-Jews by faith. And scripture anticipated this in the promise to Abraham. All nations will be blessed in you. So those now who live by faith are blessed with Abraham, who lives by faith. And this is no new doctrine. And and that means that anyone who tries to live by his own effort, independent of God, is doomed to failure. Scripture backs this up. 
Utterly cursed is anyone who fails to carry out every detail written in the book of the law. The obvious impossibility of of carrying out such a moral program should make it plain that no one can sustain a relationship with God that way. The person who lives in right relationship with God does it by embracing what God arranges for him. Doing things for God is the opposite of entering into what God does for you. Habakkuk had it right. The, The person who believes God is set right by God, and that is real life. Rule-keeping doesn't naturally evolve into living by faith, but only perpetuates itself into more and more and more rule-keeping, a fact observed in Scripture. The one who does these things, rule-keeping, continues to live by them. We've heard the harsh words of Paul to the church, and we wonder, do they strike our hearts? Has the Spirit convicted you as you hear the word now of that, of your, of your sin, of how you've gone astray from the message of grace in Jesus Christ? So we come then to a time of confession where we lay before God our hearts and ask that God make us right with him. Let us pray. O Holy Spirit, we hear you working in our hearts, whispering to us, uh, making the words of uh, the word Jesus Christ uh, hurt sometimes. For we know and we confess that we have gone astray, that we have not held your word to be central in our lives, that we have lived by our own rule-keeping and efforts and not by the grace of what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. We want to be your children. We want to continually be formed like Jesus, uh, to be better followers of you. And where we've gone astray, call us to account. Where we have sinned, uh, forgive us. Where we have done wrong to our brother or sister, help us seek reconciliation and forgiveness. God, we pray that your word be central in our lives. And we confess that we are, are not perfect, but we know that Jesus Christ is So as you speak to us today, we we lay our hearts bare before you, trusting that your word and your spirit will guide us and lead us to lives of greater faithfulness. This we pray in Jesus and what he's done for us and by the power of the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit is doing in us now. Amen. Since we've confessed our sins, hear God's assurance of pardon, of grace in Jesus Christ through the words of Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember what scripture says? Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse and at the same time dissolved the curse. And now because of that, the air is cleared. And we can see that Abraham's blessing is present and available to us non-Jews too. We are all able to receive God's life, his spirit and in and with us by believing just as Abraham received it. Amen. We've heard uh, Paul's word uh, to the Galatians, his harsh words of confession, calling them to account. We've heard him tell a bit of his own story and why they should listen to him. And now we hear him go to Scripture for the next uh, chapter or so, and he'll tell us why from Scripture it is important that we believe this message and live according to it. We continue in Galatians 3, uh, verses 15 and onwards through 4.31. You can switch to the next slide. Friends, let me give an example from everyday affairs of the free life that I am talking about Once a person's will or testament has been signed, no one else can annul it or add to it. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his descendant, and you will observe that Scripture, in careful language of a a legal document, does not say to the descendants, referring to everybody in general, but to your descendant. The noun, note, is singular, referring to Christ. This is the way I interpret this. A will earlier signed by God is not annulled by an addendum attached 430 years later, thereby negating the promise of the will. 
No, this addendum with its instructions and regulations has nothing to do with the promised inheritance in the will. Quick note here. The will he's talking about is the promise to Abraham, and the addendum would be the law given to the Jews. Onward. What then, Paul says, is the point of the law, that attached addendum? It was a thoughtful addition to the original covenant promises made to Abraham. The purpose of the law was to keep sinful people in the way of salvation of Christ, the descendant, until Christ came, inheriting the promises and distributing them to us. It was arranged by angelic messengers uh, through a middleman, Moses. But if there is a middleman, uh, as there was at Sinai, then the people are not dealing directly with God. But the original promise to Abraham is a direct blessing from God, received by faith. If such is the case, is the law then an anti-promise, a negation of God's will for us? Not at all. Its purpose was to make obvious to everyone that we in ourselves are out of right relationship with God and therefore to show us the futility of devising some religious system for getting by our own efforts what we can only get by waiting in faith for God to complete his promise. For if any kind of rule keeping had power to create this life in us, we certainly would have gotten it by this time. Until the time when we were mature enough to respond freely in faith to the living God, we were careful, carefully surrounded and protected by the Mosaic law. The law was like one of those Greek tutors with which you are familiar, who escort children to school and protect them from danger and distraction, making sure the children will really get to the place they set out for. But now you have arrived at your destination. By faith in Christ, you are in direct relationship with God. Your baptism in Christ was not some washing you up for a fresh start. It also involved dressing you in adult faith wardrobe. Christ's life, the fulfillment of God's original promise. In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew or non-Jew, slave or free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in common relationship with Jesus Christ. And also, since you are Christ's family, you then are Abraham's famous descendant, heirs according to God, the covenant's promises. Let me show you the implications of this. As long as the heir is a minor, he has no advantage over the slave. Though he legally owns the entire inheritance, he is subject to tutors and guardians and administrators until whatever date the father has set for emancipation. That is the way it is with us. When we were minors, just like slaves ordered around by simple instructions, the the, the tutors and administrators of this world, we had no say in the conduct of our own lives. But when the time arrived that, God was, that was set by God the Father, God sent his Son, born among us by a woman, born under the conditions of the law, so that he might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. Thus, you have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent his spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father. Doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are not a slave but a child? And if you are a child, you're also an heir complete with complete access to the inheritance. Earlier... Before you knew God personally, you were enslaved to those so-called gods that have nothing of the divine about them. But now that you know the real God, or, or rather, since God knows you, how can you possibly subject yourselves again to those tin gods? For that is exactly what you do when you are intimidated into scrupulously observing all the traditions and taboos and superstitions associated with special days and seasons and years. I am afraid that all my hard work among you has gone up in a puff of smoke. My dear friends, what I would really like you to do is to try to put yourselves in my shoes to the same extent that I, when I was with you, put myself in yours. 
You were very sensitive and kind then. You did not come down on me personally. You were well aware that the reason I ended up preaching to you that was that I was physically broken and so prevented from continuing my journey. I was forced to stop with you, and that is how I came to preach to you. And don't you remember that even though taking in a, a sick guest was most troublesome for you, you chose to treat me as well as you would have treated an angel from God, as well as you would have treated Jesus Christ himself if he had visited you. What has happened then to the satisfaction that you felt at that time? There were some of you then who, if possible, would have given your own eyes to me. That is how deeply you cared. And now, I have suddenly become your enemy simply by telling you the truth. I can't believe it. Those heretical teachers go to great lengths to flatter you, but their motives are rotten. They want to shut you out of the free world of God's uh, grace by, so that you will always depend on them for approval and direction, making them feel important. It is a good thing to be passionate in doing good, but not just when I am in your presence. Can't you continue the same concern for both my person and my message when I am away from you uh, that you had when I was with you? Don't you know how I feel right now and will feel until Christ's life becomes visible in your lives? Like a mother in the pain of childbirth. Oh, I keep wishing that I was with you. Then I wouldn't be reduced to this blunt letter-writing language out of sheer frustration. Tell me now, you who became so enamored with the law, have you paid close attention to the law? Abraham, remember, had two sons, uh, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. The son of the slave woman, slave woman was born by human plotting. The son of the free woman was born by God's promise. And this illustrates the very thing we're dealing with right now. Uh, the, these two births represent two ways of being in relationship with God. One is from Mount Sinai in Arabia. It corresponds with what's going on right now in Jerusalem a slave life, producing slaves as offspring. That is the way of Hagar. In contrast, there is an invisible Jerusalem, a free Jerusalem, and she is our mother. This is the way of Sarah. Remember what Isaiah wrote. Rejoice, barren woman who bears no children. Shout and cry out, woman who has no birth pangs, because the children of the barren woman now surpass the children of the chosen woman. Isn't it clear, friends, that, Isaac, that like Isaac, you are children of the promise? In the days of Hagar and Sarah, the, the child who came from faithless plotting, Ishmael, harassed the child who came, empowered by the Spirit, from the faithful promise, Isaac. Isn't it clear that the harassment you are now experiencing from the Jerusalem heretics follows that old pattern? There is a scripture that tells what, us what to do. Expel the slave mother with her son, for the slave son will not inherit with the free son. Isn't that conclusive? We are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. In response to Paul's words of freedom, I invite you to rise in body or in spirit and we'll sing a song that speaks of the freedom we have in Christ. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Uh, this is a song that uh, is based on a familiar tune with words drawn from the book of Galatians. For freedom, Christ has set us free.
Paul has given his letter to the Galatians so far by telling his own story and pointing to what Christ did in him. And then he pointed to Scripture and he said, this is what we believe God did not just for Abraham but for us, set us free by faith to be God's children. And now, now in chapter 5 and 6, Paul writes about the God who calls us to live the free life in the Spirit. Hear these words from Galatians chapter 5. Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. I am emphatic about this. The moment any one of you submits to circumcision or any other rule-keeping system, at that same moment, Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. I repeat my warning. The person who accepts the ways of circumcision trades all the advantages of the free life in Christ for the obligations of the slave life of the law. I suspect that you would never intend this, but that is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace. Meanwhile, we expectantly await uh, the we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the spirit for in Christ neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts for anything what matters is something far more interior faith expressed in love You were running superbly. Who cut in on you, deflecting you from the true course of obedience? This detour doesn't come from the one who called you into the race in the first place. And please don't toss this off as insignificant. It only takes a minute amount of yeast, you know, to permeate the entire loaf. And deep down, the master has given me confidence that you will not defect. But the one who is upsetting you? Whoever he is will bear the divine judgment. As for the rumor that I continue to preach the ways of circumcision as I did in those pre-Damascus road days, that is absurd. Why would I still be persecuted then? If I were preaching that old message, no one would be offended if I mentioned the cross now and then. It would be so watered down it wouldn't matter one way or the other. Why don't those agitators, obsessive as they are about circumcision, go all the way and castrate themselves? It is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love That's how freedom grows. For everything we know from God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That is an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time you will all be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? My counsel is this. Live freely, animated and motivated by God's Spirit. Then you won't feel the compulsions of selfishness. For there is a a root of self-interest in us that is at odds with a free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are contrary to each other, so you cannot live at times one way and at other times another way according to how you feel on a given day. Why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence? It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, 
an impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded, lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing anyone into, everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I have warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way among Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone calls necessities is killed off for good, crucified. And since this is the life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not hold it as an idea in our heads or a a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That means that we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. We continue responding to the word from Galatians with a prayer for our community, with a pastoral prayer for the concerns of our nation and our world, for our friends and family and our church giving praise to God for what he is doing among us. Let us go to God in prayer. God, we we trust that by your word you are calling us to greater faithfulness. That in your word you show us how to live the life of freedom in the spirit, the life that is fully for another, love of one another. And so we pray that you show us that life today as you reveal your word to us in Galatians, that we may see and know and love Jesus Christ. We praise you and thank you for this day. We thank you for waking us up and bringing us to hear your word. We thank you that we can uh, have breath in our lungs to give you praise. And we, we, we love you, God, for what you are doing in and through us even now as we look upon your creation and your world. We too uh, mourn for and, and grieve for those who, who are suffering now. For those who have loved ones who have passed away recently. For those who are ill and and burdened by the, the weight of pain and sickness. Comfort and protect them. Heal them by your spirit. Work within their marrow and flesh to bring about healing. We, we think especially of Joyce and June, Erwin and Joellen, Terry and Carl and, and many, many others. We pray that your spirit guide and protect them. And we think too of our community, our church. You bind us together by your spirit. Though we may sometimes find ourselves torn asunder by the things of the world, we pray that we may be united in the spirit, in the word of Jesus Christ. We pray especially for those who are not in our midst today, those who are watching from their homes or from their campgrounds, for those who are uh, scattered to other places, for those who uh, feel cut off from the church, for those who find themselves in loneliness. We pray especially for the elderly of our church who who can't come to worship regularly, for for Wilma and Marilyn, uh, Thelma and Irwin, Mike and Polly, Jude and Tom and Flora, Attend to them by your spirit. Give them a special sense of your presence. And for all the others who are on our hearts and minds, we pray, God, that you touch them by your spirit and call them back to the word and to the, the community of love that we share with one another. We, we know that you are working good in their lives, and we trust that you will continue to do that. 
God, we give you thanks and praise for what you are doing among us, not just by your word, but in our community. We, we praise you that Ebenezer Christian School has found a preschool teacher. We praise you for those who celebrate birthdays this week, for Jody and Gary and Kevin. Uh, we praise you for 60 years of faithful service, uh, playing organ and leading us in worship from Terry Vanderslick. Uh, we, we praise you for how you are working good in our midst. And, and we praise you for marriage, for Nate and Emily Veldboom, who got married yesterday with joy and thanksgiving. Bless their married life. But God, we need you. We need you in our lives today to guide and protect us, to help us to live lives of service and faithfulness to follow and be your freedom people in the world, to love one another as you loved us. So we pray, do that in us today by your Spirit, that we may uh, serve and be your hands and feet in the world. Uh, Bless the gifts we bring to you now as thanksgiving for what you have done for us and and bless those who serve in our midst in in small and hidden ways and big and and, and significant ways. Uh, We pray for our council as we meet tomorrow night that you may give us wisdom as we uh, guide the congregation in life together. We pray for elders and deacons in their service among us. We pray for our hands and feet as we serve each other and uh, the, the world in the places you've placed us. We pray for our gathering of, Nor- of uh, Northern Michigan churches in the Christian Reformed Church uh, that's going to happen here in about two weeks. Uh, bless our fellow churches, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that, that we may all be faithful to your word and, and live as children freed by the Spirit. We pray for our fellow churches in Ellsworth, too, that you bless them on this day as they worship and guide and protect our our community, Uh, those who serve in leadership and give them wisdom. We pray for our state and our nation and those who serve at the national and international level, that your spirit may guide them to lives of freedom and faithfulness, faithfulness worked out in love that is uh, uh, the way of your kingdom. For we look to your new creation. We pray, God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven even now as we pray, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We respond to what God has done for us in spirit-filled living with our gifts of thanksgiving. And as always, you may give uh, to our church online at our website, ellsworthcrc.org, or in the boxes located near the west exit, or you can mail your gifts in too. Our, Our offerings today are first for the ministry of our church and second for Ebenezer Christian School. And Terry has a gift of music for us, too, as we uh, contemplate the word. Thank you, Terry, for your gifts of music to our congregation offered faithfully in service for over 60 years. I think that deserves another applause.
Finally, brothers and sisters, uh, we come to the last chapter of Galatians, chapter 6. Hear the word from uh, Paul's word to the church. He says this, Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. And if you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed by uh, uh, yourself. Uh, Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Be very sure now, you who have been trained to a self-sufficient maturity, that you enter into a generous common life with those who have trained you, sharing all the good things that you have and experience. But don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, Harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life are weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's Spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get a chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. Now, in these last sentences, I want to emphasize in the bold scrawls of my personal handwriting the immense importance of what I have written to you. These people who are attempting to force the ways of circumcision on you have only one motive. They want an easy way to look good before others, lacking the courage to live by a faith that shares Christ's suffering and death. All their talk about the law is gas. They themselves don't keep the law, and they are highly selective in the laws they do observe. They only want you to be circumcised so that they can boast of their success in recruiting you to their side. That is contemptible. For my part, I am going to boast about nothing but the cross of our Master, Jesus Christ. Because of the cross, I have been crucified in relation to the world, set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into the little patterns they dictate. Can't you see the central issue in all of this? It is not what you and I do, uh, submit to circumcision, reject circumcision. It is what God is doing, and he is creating something totally new, a free life. All who walk by this standard are the true Israel of God, his chosen people. Peace and mercy on them. Quite frankly, I don't want to be bothered anymore with these disputes. I have far more important things to do. The serious living of this life of faith, I bear in my body the scars from my service to Jesus. May what our Master Jesus Christ gives be freely, be deeply and personally yours, my friends. Oh, yes. Amen. Here in these last words of Galatians, these words that Paul puts down by his own hands with his own emphasis, he is getting back to the central point of the whole letter. Everything he said, he says it again just to be clear that they get it. This is important. First, he warns them against those false teachers, the ones who are trying to lead them astray to a life of doing instead of being in Christ. He tells them that they're just trying to impress others. They're just trying to look successful. They're just trying to not be persecuted by the the Jews who who want them to obey the law or by the the Greeks, the Gentiles, who, who want to fit people into their own little category. No, says Paul, do not fall for it. 
Those divisions, those political and economic divisions, those social divisions that exist in our world today matter nothing but for the cross of Jesus Christ. In Christ, says Paul, in Christ we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Behold, I am making everything new, says Jesus It all begins in the cross, says Paul. And this is the second and the most important thing he has to say. It's all the cross. It's all what Jesus Christ has done in and for us. It's by his faithfulness that we are saved. And it's by his faithfulness that we are in the family of God because that's what it means to be saved. It's not by what you do. It's not by coming to church on Sundays or being a good person. It's by what Jesus Christ has done for you. So rejoice in that because what Christ did in in the cross Changed everything, says Paul. We are a new creation. Boom. New creation. At the cross, Christ defeated the powers of death and sin and evil. He defeated the powers of this world. He defeated the rulers and authorities. He set us free to be in God's kingdom. He freed us and saved us. And that is all one package. It is the same thing and it is the most important thing in our lives. So live as free people. People freed by the cross of Jesus Christ to love one another, to serve one another. As the the book of James says, another early letter written to Christians around this time, faith without works is dead. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. How do you know you're in God's family? How do you know if the Spirit has spoken to you and put a question on your heart? How do you know you are part of God's covenant blessings You know because you live in the Spirit. And what does that mean? You love your neighbor. It's as simple as that. If you are not loving your neighbor, if what you're doing and saying and acting is not loving towards your neighbor, then it is not faith. It is not the faith of Jesus Christ. It is that old way of living the law. It is contemptible. It is cursed. It is so far astray. And so Paul calls us all to account. He calls us back to the cross of Jesus Christ. So hear the word, the cross makes the creation new. And that new creation is what we are living and being now in Christ. The the church, the Israel of God, the true family of God, is by God's Spirit inaugurating the new creation even now, breaking into this world. And that is all that matters. We, We see the glimmers of the kingdom even now, and we hope for the kingdom come fully and completely, for it is not yet here. It is the work of the Spirit in and through us that God is bringing his kingdom. And until we join into the kingdom way, we are so far astray, my friends, that we are not with Christ. We are not in Christ. So hear Paul's word to the cross, to live as new creation, freed to live the life of the Spirit, the life of love. And finally, as if to put a period on the end of his letter, Paul points again to his own life. They met him. They saw his body. They saw the wounds that he bore on his body. Paul says in chapter 2, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's it. Let no one cause me any trouble, he says at the end, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. That's it. It's Paul's calling. It's his calling to us. Uh, Look at me, but don't look at me. Look at Christ and at his wounds and what he has done for you. And because of his word, because of what he did in me, because of what we see in scriptures, and because of what the Spirit is doing in your lives even now, live as people freed by God. Freed to go and love your neighbor, to live as God's kingdom people. I invite you to rise now to receive God's blessing from the final verses of Galatians. You may extend your hands if you're watching online or here in person to to receive God's blessing. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Let us sing a, a song of rejoicing, of sending. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Number 502 in the Psalter hymnal. We sing with great rejoicing.
as we go, go in the power of the Spirit. Uh, I invite you to uh, head outside down the stairs for uh, snacks that will be served outside with coffee. And if you wish to take your snack and eat it inside, you're certainly welcome to do so. I'll be available to greet and talk with you and pray with you at the west exit. So go in the Spirit to love and serve one another through the power of Jesus Christ.